0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Do grab your seat, please. Thanks so much to Ben and the band. That was brilliant. That song we sang, Ben wrote that song. It's good, isn't it? If, if you're thinking, I don't know this song, it's because it's Ben wrote it. So um, um, We've had to flip things around a little bit, what you've got in your program. Uh, Charlie Maxey speaking next Sunday. Because uh, he double booked himself, uh, and uh, it'd be a great service to bring your friends to. And Bill, who is going to be speaking next week, is now speaking this week and kicking off uh, our series for the term. And um, it's a very weird thing for me to introduce him to this because the series is actually exploring a book called *Dirty Glory* that I uh, was involved with writing. And um, as we, uh, what do you mean you're involved in writing, you wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, and and. Um, <laughs> that is in fact true and um the 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 thing is this um we were we were racking our brains and praying and saying lord what is it you want to be really saying to us this term Uh, obviously when we were planning last term and the guy said pete um actually this book is quite a good resource and other churches are using their teaching series and a bit silly to not use it here and um So forgive me. uh, I don't. You know, I'm not making money out of the books or anything like. It's not. It's not an ego trip. It's just this book um, tells lots of stories from the 24/7 prayer movement, and we are right at the heart of that movement. And it it uses those stories as a vehicle to teach into some very important theology that will affect our lives, Uh, issues around incarnation and mission. Christian unity, what it means to be a house of prayer for the nations, and particularly something that Bill's going to be exploring today, the presence paradigm. And so I hope that um, if you haven't read the book, you know, do grab a copy. If you can't afford one, come and tell me. I'll find a way of giving you one or something. Uh, and uh, as long as you promise to read it. Uh, but um, the books there, I think collectives are going to be sort of using the study guide that Hannah Heather wrote uh, uh, in, 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 in midweek uh, to go through the different chapters. And we're going to be teaching uh, on it uh, on, on, on Sunday. So uh, um, far more important than the theme, Bill Kuzak is an absolute legend. And he's Preaching today, in spite of the fact that it is Nikki Kuzak's birthday today. So, happy birthday, Nikki, and uh, and uh, we're particularly grateful. Bill, over to you.
1: Okay, let's look at the Bible together. If you have a Bible or um, a smartphone, uh, why don't you turn to Psalm eighty-four? I'm going to read verses 1 to 4 and then verse 10. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they're ever praising you. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I still remember, now most of you know, but for those of you who don't, um, I wasn't brought up in a Christian family. We didn't go to church. Occasionally my grandfather would um, go to church but he would because he, he sung in the choir, but he'd leave before the talk. And uh, so I'm not really from a uh, Christian background at all. In fact, a member of um, my father grew up with his cousin because he was evacuated during the Second World War. And uh, his cousin became a very um, sort of prominent leader in the Church of England in the 1970s, 60s and 70s. And uh, and when my father was um, dying of lung cancer, my mum wrote uh, this, this gentleman. And said, "Um, Christopher, that's my father's very ill and is dying. Um, Could you come and see him? And he sent a card back saying he was very sorry to hear that. He was actually very busy, and here was a prayer. And so you can imagine that the impact that that had on my mum, and I I understand uh, he was extraordinarily busy, um, but that kind of had that was kind of the legacy of that. There's the only sort of Christian, he was the only Christian person in our family. And uh, that was the kind of impression that he left on my mum. So it'd be fair to say that it, that it was, uh, if it wasn't ambiguous, it was probably a slightly negative view of church. So, uh, and that's the way I was brought up. And then what happened when I was sixteen uh, is these four, this lady and her four very attractive daughters moved two doors down from where we were living. I was living in a in a house in London, and uh, um, I'm just not going to lie, they were, they were hot. And the youngest one, particularly, was not as hot as you, darling. But I didn't know you then. So, so uh, she was hot. And so I, I, I'm, just trying to, I'm in a lot of trouble right now. Um, this is the safest place for me. So, so uh, I spent a year trying to get her to come on a date with me. And she was very sweet. She never said no, but she never said yes either. And so I sort of resorted to what can only really be described as stalking. <laughs> I would um, I'd go for a walk, and as I say to my mum, I just need to stretch my legs, and I'd go for a walk, and I'd walk outside her house, and uh, every now and again I'd see her, uh, her mum, their, their mum coming back with shopping from the supermarket, so I'd dash out and offer to help if it meant getting inside the house and spending a few minutes with them. And the more I get to, got to know um, her whole family and then some of her friends, I noticed that there was something really different about them. I don't know if you've ever met people and you think there's something different about you, but it's not different bad, it's different really good, but you just can't quite put your finger on what it is. They had this thing about them. And eventually they mentioned that they were Christians, which was surprising, because I'd never really met any Christians my age, certainly not ones who were hot, and I'd I'd never met any that kind of didn't use lots of religious language and didn't look sort of mildly down about everything, um, and I—I I don't know if you've ever had this moment where you hear yourself committing to something that you know you're going to have to follow through on before you have a chance to say you were only joking. Um, so, so I was—I was with—I was—I with, was, um, was with this girl and and her mum, and we were talking. And, and I just heard this voice that sounded just disturbingly like my own, saying, "I'll come to church." And because once it's out there, you can't say, "Are you joking?" Or at least I didn't have the confidence to do that. And I, I, sh- I didn't. I didn't. I, liked it. I wasn't quick-thinking enough to say, "Sometime." And the good thing about "sometime" is it could be any time. Anyway, so we duly agreed that I'd come with them the following Sunday. And because my, my only real experience of church had been at school, where I wore a, a suit. Uh, and um, we sung Jerusalem, and we only sung that when someone got expelled, and that was so that everyone sung, because everyone liked singing Jerusalem. So, so I got on my wool suit, put on my shirt and tie and polished my shoes, and went around to their house. And it was the middle of June, so it was extraordinarily hot, and I don't know if you've ever had one of those sort of mid-range wool suits that just are really hot and really itchy... Anyway, so we went to the. To, I was sweating by the time I'd got to their house. I can't work out if it's because of the heat or because of the fact that I was going to church. But we got and, – and my friends opened the door, and they were wearing T-shirt and shorts, which was strange because I didn't think Christians did that when they went to church. So anyway, we got on the tube, and I got taken to this church. And I remember walking through the door, and um, – Being so surprised for a couple of different reasons. I think the first was there were loads of people my age, loads of people my age. I mean, hundreds of them. Uh, The second thing was nobody else was wearing a suit, (laughs) and in fact, not even the guy who was speaking was wearing a suit. He was wearing like slacks, you know, and and a polo shirt. It was very sensible because it was, you know, hot and June and. And then worship started and people were waving their And I just, you know that thing where you just think, I have no idea what's going on, but everyone seems to be having a really great time. But the thing that I felt actually was I felt immediately, in a way I couldn't quite understand, could not the only way I could ati- articulate it was I felt at home, And what I have come, and it took going on the Alpha course and going on an Alpha day and being prayed for and encountering the love of God and the goodness of God in a personal way to help me understand what I'd experienced the first time I walked through that door was the presence of God. And we hear countless stories of people who walk through the doors of this church, who walk through the doors of Alpha, who say they can't quite articulate, the only way they can articulate. What they're experiencing and who they're encountering is they feel at home in a place they've never been to before with a bunch of people they've never met before, but they feel at home. And that's the presence of Jesus in a place. The pursuit of the presence of Jesus has been the prevailing passion and the common purpose of all the saints in every generation since the time of Jesus. In his great work, the Trinity, St. Augustine repeat, repeatedly cites Psalm 104, verse, 105, verse 4. He says, seek his face always. More than any other verse in the Bible, these four words capture the spirit of early Christian thinking. Well, that's all well and good if you're Augustine. But what about the rest of us who lead busy lives and they didn't have the internet then and they didn't have Netflix. Uh, they didn't, he probably didn't have the school run. How do the rest of us do that? How do the rest of us prioritize seeking God always? As uh, most of you will know, my father-in-law was diagnosed just over a year ago with uh, motor neuron disease, or ALS, and uh, over the course of the year, we watched him uh, become weaker and struggle more and not be able to walk and then be in a wheelchair And there were moments when it was difficult to understand what he was saying because his, he, he was struggling to speak. But you know, the thing that always, well, probably the, his legacy for, uh, for our family is that he loved Jesus. And even when, it must have been so scary for him, but what never left him was this extraordinary hope. You could see it in his eyes. You could hear it, even when things were really difficult. You could hear it uh, in the way that he would light up. He would come alive as he talked about Jesus. There was never any sense of anger. There was never any sense of bitterness. Even towards the end, he seemed to be trusting for something even b- bigger than a miracle. He knew that heaven was close, and because of that, he carried a joy that was bigger than his condition. You know, the enemy of our souls is not particularly interested in sin. His primary objective is to tempt you away and tempt you into it, 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 to tempt you away from Jesus. He's not, whether that means uh, through sin, but it'll also use busyness, or shame, or pain, or religion, or candy crush saga, or Netflix, or an obsessive relationship, or a golf handicap, or a pay rise, or an illness. What his objective is, is to avert our gaze from Jesus. And the point of prayer, as Pete put it so brilliantly, the vision is Jesus it's not Christianity it's not prayer it's not worship it's not mission it's not social justice everything else is secondary the point of prayer is not the power it releases but the person it reveals the point of prayer is not the person the power it releases but the person it reveals the vision is Jesus Psalm 105, verse 4 again, seek his face always, seek his face always. If we do that, if we seek his face always, we'll find ourselves praying, we'll find ourselves singing our hearts out in worship, we'll find ourselves getting involved in mission and social justice, because as we seek him, it'll be our love for him that motivates us. As we encounter his presence and we know his love for us, we'll find ourselves wanting to do these things, not doing them out of some sort of sense of religious obligation. I'd only been a believer a few months, um, when in October um, 1990, um, this Amer- I was uh, at church, and this American pastor came, and he started talking about this relationship he had at the start of his talk, and he said, I'll get up in the morning, and we'll go for a run, and and then we'll sit down, and we'll have a coffee, I'll get ready for work, and then we'll we'll go to work, and and he'd say, you know, often in meetings I'll turn to him and I'll ask him what he thinks. I'll have a particular dilemma and I'll ask him well, what, what I should do. And I, I thought, this is a very, like, is this his wife? Like, this is a very strange relationship. This person is with him the whole time. It's like got a best friend that is, like, you know, a permanent feature in his life. And it took me a little while to realize that he was talking about Jesus. He was talking about this relationship he had with Jesus where the presence of Jesus was with him, went with him everywhere, where Jesus was involved in every aspect of his life. And, and I found it utterly compelling. I'd never heard anyone talk about Jesus in that way. And I've spent the rest of my life trying to live that way. It's the great longing of my heart to know his presence more in my life, to see other people encounter his presence because I know the difference that he makes. When I think back, even more than what he said, what this man said, it was what he carried that was so impactful because the presence of God can sometimes be carried contagiously by those who seek him most passionately in prayer. As Apostle Paul puts it in Romans 8.15, the resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are, Father and children. The public authority of Jesus flowed from his intimacy with the Father. We, I don't know if you've ever met somebody. I, I uh, have the privilege of meeting all sorts of uh, people. And it's the thing that has most marked the people that I've met, the most, they have the, have the most authority, people who seem to have this extraordinary relationship with Jesus. They carry this certainty about who they are. They know who they are. And they know what they're, what they're on earth to do, to love God to, to love God and enjoy Him forever, to worship God and enjoy Him forever. And that gives them this extraordinary authority. John 5, verses 20 and 21 says this, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you'll be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives, li- gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom it pl- He is pleased to give it. The most important discovery you will ever make is the Father's love for you. That your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. He's not scowling at you. He is on your side. He likes you. He loves you. He wants to be with you. Luke 3:22 records that when Jesus was baptized the spirit descended and the father said this is my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased and it's important to note that Jesus hadn't actually done anything yet he hadn't turned water into wine he hadn't the sick he hadn't healed the sick he hadn't raised the dead he may have made a few tables we don't know if he made them well or badly but he hadn't done anything that would, that on, the, on the face of it would, um, would mean that there'd be this voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love and who I am pleased with. We live in a world, it's uh, sort a of meritocracy, don't we, where we're often uh, judged and we're, we're, we're given value by the things that we do. Think about the things that your boss might say, well done. Think about the things, if you're a student, your lecturer might say, great essay or interesting thought. Think about what children, when they watch Thomas the Tank Engine, well done, you're a very useful engine. From a really early age, we are, have it wired into us. We're pleased with you because you've done something. And here's God saying, I'm pleased with you because I love you. I'm pleased with you because I love you. God's pleasure in us Is never dependent on our achievements. He loves us because he likes us and because we're his kids. There are two other occasions in the Gospel where where the Father says almost exactly the same words. These are the two other times in the Bible where uh, Jesus is recorded as hearing the audible voice of his Father. And since it's been recorded three times, it must be important. The second occurred during the transfiguration. You remember, Jesus goes up the mountain with his three mates. Uh, Suddenly he's transfigured before them. They all freak out and then they hear this voice saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And the third time is at the temple at the end of Jesus' final week. This is my son who I love, with him I'm well pleased. All three times the father says exactly the same thing, or pretty much the same thing. If you think about it, God could have used those moments to say pretty much anything. He could have used it to rebuke uh, the Pharisees. He could have uh, or rebuke people who doubted who Jesus was. He could have revealed the meaning of life. Instead, he said, I love you twice uh, and I'm proud of you three times. That tells us everything we need to know that the unconditional love of God is for him, and therefore it is for us. His priority is relationship, and his default is kindness. His priority is relationship, and his default is kindness. Often we go to God because we want him to do things for us, or we want him to... uh, and, or we want him to tell us stuff. And when we go to God and we want him to tell us stuff, we find that actually he just wants to talk to us. Sometimes we'll go to him with a list of things. And actually what he's wanting us to learn is how just to be with him. How just to be with him. You know, what I'm really learning Uh, And what I've been really challenged on recently is that God wants us to come to him without agenda. He just wants us to come to him because we love him and because we want to be with him. Just think about that for a moment. What would it be just to spend time with God without a list, without an agenda, without thinking if I do this, if I do this for long enough, God might do something for me. Because I find I can so easily slip into that. I'll worship and all the rest of it. But at the back of my mind, I love you, Jesus. And maybe I'll, I don't often at home, to be fair, wave my arms in the air. But I I don't know why I'm doing that now, actually. Um, But uh, often, what's going through the back of my mind is, I want want something. Or I want to talk about something. And I think if I worship hard enough, or I worship long enough, or I worship well enough, whatever that is, I'll have his attention more. And I already have his full attention. You already have his full attention. He longs that our great prayer would be for the one thing that the writer of Psalm 27 says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. But God's interested, isn't he? God is interested supremely in friendship with us. Think about your own friendships. My closest friend is called Piers. And sometimes when we get together, we talk about weighty matters of state. Or at least he does, I don't really understand most of it. But, but he, we talk about weighty matters of state. Other times, we talk about just stuff that's going on in our lives. And sometimes we'll, like we'll be going somewhere we won't talk at all. We're just comfortable enough in each other's presence that we don't feel the need to say anything. Sometimes we just like hanging out. I knew this I had this friend once, and every time we, hook, we, we sort of you know, met up, he would want to talk about something really serious and really intense. I just want to be honest with you, like I really, really like him. But it was really hard work. We all have people, don't we? And every time they see, like, great, now we've got you set down, let's talk about this. And it it, it it it's good to talk about those things, but after a while, that's all you talk about. It gets tiring and it stretches a friendship, it puts pressure on a friendship. Because so you say, I just want to talk about like what I watched on Netflix or the football or whatever. Motorbikes. Uh, so you'll know that. My family. Well, if you don't know, my family. We're all Fulham supporters, Fulham Football Club supporters, um, and our prayers are beginning to work. <laughs> it's maybe not been the season that we hoped it would be after getting into the playoffs of the Championship last season, but we're, we're you know, we're on. We're, we're headed, the, the trajectory is in the right direction. And uh, one, t- one time, one time, um, We were at a game. With um, as the game with two of my two of my sons, my eldest two sons, and after having explained to them the to the middle one that he was going to hear words in the stadium that he'd never heard before, and and to ask what they meant and not to repeat them anywhere else, um, we Fulham were doing particularly badly, and the ball hadn't actually it was. Uh, we were in the second half of the game, and we'd spent the whole game defending our own half. And in fact, we'd spent a large proportion of that defending our own penalty box. It was not going well. And um, and then I just became aware of the presence of Jesus. And and so I uh, and what I found is, as I become aware of, aware of him, if I if I sort of step into that space, he comes towards us. You know, it says in James, "Come near to God, and He'll come near to you." So I said, Lord, um, why are you here? And he said, I like football. (laughs) I like football. And then what happened is, I I, I found him say uh, that um, in a minute what was going to happen was the ball was going to be deflected uh, and it was going to end up just at Fulham's side, um, in Fulham's half, um, and that this particular player was going to get the ball, going to run the length of the pitch and score a goal. I thought that was very unlikely, so I thought it would have to be God or my imagination. So I said to, jo- I said to Jonah, I said, in a minute, this is going to happen. And I was sta- we were standing next to this other guy. I said, yeah, mate, I'll believe that when I see it. At which point, a ball got deflected, landed, this player ran and scored the goal. The guy turned to me next to me and said, how do you know that? Well, that's not actually what he said, but I can't repeat what he said. <laughs> uh, and I just looked to him and I said, I oh, know the head coach, and, and gave Jonah a wink but God showed up because he likes football. I love how Pete puts it in Dirty Glory. He says, your relationship with God is at its best when you talk to him about trivia. I'd hate it if my children only talked to me about grave matters of serious concern. But that's all well and good, but how? How do I deepen my relationship with Jesus? How do you deepen your relationship with Jesus? Well, the first thing I want to say is this. Take a long view. When I first uh, became a Christian, um, somebody, I don't know who it was, said, oh, you should try and pray for 20 minutes every day. So I, I sat down and I'd think deep thoughts and I'd pray as hard as I could. And 45 seconds later, I looked at my watch and thought, I've only got... You know, 19 minutes, 50, uh, 15 seconds left. The best friendships take time. The reason Piers is my closest friend, he's, my, he's my, my longest standing friend pretty much. Friendships take time, relationships take time, so take a long view and don't compare somebody else's relationship with Jesus to yours because you know, he relates to us all differently because he loves us all and meets us all as, we, as he made us, as we are. Secondly, think about Mary and Martha. What I love about that story is is that one of them chose for a minute to down tools and just to sit at his feet. Take time to be with him. We all lead just super busy lives. There's so much going on, there's so much distraction, there's so much noise. Decide, and you, this is a decision you make. Decide to down tools and decide to spend time with him. If you're not used to spending time with him, be realistic. Most, most people, St. Francis who were, you know, prayed through the night, he probably didn't start by praying through the night. Start with maybe reading a little bit of the Bible. Thinking is there something that strikes you and thanking God for that or praying for something out of that that strikes you. And build and grow on it in that way. One of my friends has this crazy busy job. So I don't, um, sometimes, well this friend of mine, he, he explained his job to me. And you know when you understand every single word in English, but you have no idea what the sentence means. He explains something about derivative and a hedge fund and equity, and, I, like, he lost me. Like, I know, I know, I think I know what a hedge fund is. Um, I think. Well, I know what a hedge is, and I know what a fund is. <laughs> and I, I don't really know what a derivative is, but I sort of smiled and, you know, smiled and waved. You know, that's great. Lucky you. And he, But he flies all over the world. He has this insane job. He's got four children at home. And he... he he carries, the, he has this extraordinary sense of peace and joy. Never heard him say a bad word about anybody. And I said to him, what, you know, what's your secret? How, how, how do you live like that when you've got this massive high-pressure job? You know, lots of people are depending on you. And he said, um, every now and again, I have just decided I down tools. I just down tools. And I spend time with Jesus. And I said, well, how do you do that? He said, well, sometimes when I get on a plane. He says, you get on a plane and you start flicking through the in-flight magazine or deciding what film you're going to watch. He says, I just spend a few moments just thanking Jesus that I can get on an airplane. Or he said, sometimes, he gets to work at like, you know, so he, he seems to go, get, go to work before I've gone to bed. And I said, well, how do you, like, your days are super busy. How do you do it? He says, he said, before I, whatever time of work I get in, the first thing I do is I give the day to Jesus. And I say, please help me be aware of you today. And he said, I try to remember that every person I interact with is deeply loved by God. He said, that, that's what I do. I prioritise the presence of Jesus. And I remember his love for me and I remember his love for other people. So think about strategies. How are you going to do that? So one of the things that I, I, I did for a while is I set an alarm. The amazing thing about these phones, or, you know, phone, you don't have to have one of these, but a phone is they have alarms on them, or your watches have alarms on them. The good thing about a phone is you can set multiple alarms. So I would set my alarm on my phone to go off every 15 minutes. And every 15 minutes, as it vibrated in my pocket, I'd just remember Jesus. I'd just say, thank you that you are with me. Or what I did actually was I learned this. There's a scripture in the Song of Songs that says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And I'd just repeat that, to, you know, I'd rehearse that. In my mind, I'd say, thank you that I'm yours, and thank you that you're mine. And then I'd get on with whatever I was doing, and 15 minutes later, I'd be reminded again. And over a period of time, I came to anticipate the, you know, I'd I'd know when 15 minutes was up, and I'd come to anticipate, uh, you know, the the ring in my pocket. And I learned to practice and be aware of the presence of Jesus that way, and that's a pretty full-on way of doing it. And uh, the, the thing, I just top tip on that, if you're going to a meeting with someone important, I was in a meeting with, with a bishop um, earlier on this year, and I forgot to turn the vibrate off on my phone. So every 15 minutes, this, I eventually had to, I did actually turn it off, but every 15, minutes, mm, and eventually I had to say, I'm so sorry, I'm just trying to learn to practice the presence of Jesus. So I felt slightly better. Uh, she sort of, you know, well done you, Bill. Uh, next thing, find people who have a relationship with Jesus that inspire you. Who do you know who has a relationship with Jesus that inspires you? When I, one of the best bits of advice I ever got when I first became a Christian was find a mentor. Uh, I didn't grow up with a dad, so uh, you know, looking for sort of people, older men to sort of influence and speak into my life. And I found some. And I found people who inspired, like inspired me with their relationship with Jesus and how they lived and how they loved him and how they loved other people. Find people like that. They are probably not going to volunteer themselves. You need to go and you need to find them. You need to ask them. And some of them will say yes and some of them will say no. But as I said, they're probably not going to come up to you and say, I've just, been, um, I've just been thinking about you and I think I should be your mentor. So find people. Ask Uh, ask them to speak into your life. Uh, This is one of the things that I've really been challenged with sort of in the last, again, few months. Decide to do something. Growth happens by intention. Thinking, what would I want my relationship to be like in a year? If I was talking to somebody and they said, how's your relationship different to Jesus than it was a year ago? What am I going to do? How am I going to position myself to make that happen, to make that possible, to make that reality? And as far as I've humanly got anything to do with it. Think about what you listen to in the car or when you go for a walk. What do you listen to? How do you, you know, It's a great time. I love going for walks. It's a great time to clear my head. But it's a great time to just enjoy the presence of Jesus, listen to a bit of worship or listen to a talk or... Listen to an audio book, but find like this is finding really practical ways to just remember and encounter the presence of Jesus. Because you know what? He is far more into you than you will ever be into him. He wants to be with you far more than you will ever want to be with him. He is waiting for you to draw near to him. And as you do that, he will come close to you so what I'm going to suggest we do this is we don't normally do this but I'm going to pray and I'm going to give us I'm just going to then give you 30 seconds and I want you to I want you if you've got a phone you can get it out and you can you I want you to make a note or uh, this is the one time ever that I'm going to ask you to make a note and make a decision write it down so what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to think what is one practical thing that I can do in this next few months and you just, just pick one That is going to help me encounter the presence of Jesus. What is the one thing that I'm going to do? And you're going to decide and you're going to tell no one. This is just a a decision you are making with God. Okay. So Lord, would you please speak to us about one way that we can come near to you so that you would come near to us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you long for us to know your love for us thank you that you long for us to walk closely to, with you would you please speak to us so just 30 seconds i want you to think of something i want you to write it down or note to put a note down to it on your phone Okay, phones out. This is this is your moment. I want to see. Loads. This is the only time I'm ever going to see loads of people writing on there, on their phones. It drives Nicky mad. I'm taking. You know, anyway, we won't go there. Okay. I'm going to invite Ben and the band to come up, and we're going to we're going to worship. And then I'm going to and then we're going to hand back to Pete and maybe do a little bit of ministry. There's this book I read, and I think it's so, and I just love the title, which is God is Closer Than You Think. God is closer than you think. He loves you more than you could dare to dream. And He's waiting for us to draw near to Him.